This is Education Matters, brought to you by the Ohio Education Association. Welcome to Education Matters. I'm Katie Olmsted, part of the communications team for the Ohio Education Association, which represents more than 120,000 K-12 teachers, education support professionals, and higher ed faculty members. All of our members have faced an unbelievably difficult year, doing whatever it takes to navigate the ups and downs of the pandemic while serving their students. One of our members, Julie Holderbaum, says she's had to change her perspective on that, and she writes about it in the latest post on OEA's Voices of Change blog. She's a high school English teacher in Minerva, outside Canton, and she joins us now to share her thoughts on managing the stress and pressures this year brought. Julie, thank you so much for sitting down with us. Let's start by talking about what your year has looked like. You've been in person five days a week all year. Correct. It's been a blessing to be in person all year. I think it has led to more consistency for our staff and for our students, certainly. It's also been a challenge because it's a little nerve wracking to be in a building with hundreds of people every day. We're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel now. Most of our staff has been vaccinated and um, we're starting the next, the last nine weeks next week. So I think we're going to make it. And talk to me a little bit about what the Minerva community is like. It's a a rural community. Yep. It's a rural community. Um, We're east of Canton, about 25 miles or so. And it's just, in my mind, it's very typical small town. I mean, you can't go to the grocery store without running into somebody, you know, you know, somebody you taught or somebody's parent that you teach, or sometimes somebody you taught who is a parent of somebody you teach. Um, You know, it's, it's a very supportive community. Our schools are very lucky um, and blessed in that, that we have had a lot of community support over the years. And I can't fathom at this point in my career, changing lanes. Like if I had to teach in a really, really big school or a big school district, I can't fathom. It's just I'm so used to what we have and how we function as a small town and a small community that anything else would seem really crazy to me. Well, being a small town, small community, it's also a relatively small school. And you were telling me out of, you know, the few hundred students there, you'd have 50 out on quarantine at any given time. What was that like? That's been a challenge. I think no matter what the learning situation is, whether you're remote or hybrid or in person, I think many teachers have tried to put as much as possible as you can online this year. And even though we've been in person, um, I think myself and my colleagues have made a real effort to do that because we, you don't know from one day to the next, if you're going to have a kid who's here today, and then all of a sudden they're out tomorrow for two weeks. And so you really have to plan ahead and have all your lesson plans online, have your materials online um, so that the kids that are home, not sick, but quarantining can access, you know, your materials and try to stay up with you as opposed to, you know, coming back after two weeks or so and trying to catch up because that's not a good scenario, obviously for anybody. But the stress of this year, the stress of all of this has taken a toll on educators everywhere. And you, you've, you wrote about that in your most recent post Mm -hmm. on the voices of change blog. Talk Mm -hmm. to me about that. Well, last spring when we went remote, of course, last spring was, it seems like a hundred years ago. And yet it seems like last week, but there was a lot of fear stemming from the unknown. You know, we didn't know how long it would last. We didn't know how bad it was going to be. And, you know, people were getting laid off. Things were shutting down. And then just the, we had a week to get ready for teaching online and none of us had ever done that before. So 
that was very stressful. And early on, I figured out, okay, you're going to lose your mind if you just keep functioning the way you're functioning, which was basically 110% of the time trying to think about school and how I could get things online and what lessons I could do and what could I salvage from what I would have taught for the rest of that year? And what did I need to add and supplement that might be easier to teach online? And it was just very stressful. And of course, then you're not seeing your friends. You're not seeing your colleagues. You don't have the, the teacher next door that you can bounce ideas off of or talk to us, you know, talk to about, Hey, how's the student doing for you? You know, what have you found that works? And it was very isolating. So I started setting some parameters for my day because there were no, there was no school day anymore. It was all day, every day. And the students as teenagers will, and I have a daughter, so I can testify to that you know, they started sleeping in until noon and then they would get up and start working on their school stuff. And they might be asking you questions at, you know, four or five, six o'clock at night. I'm, you know, kind of done by that point on a regular school day, but because that was their pattern, I felt that I needed to accommodate that, but I was still maintaining my schedule of waking up, you know, in the morning and doing my school stuff in the morning. So I found myself working on plans and grading in the morning and then spending evening hours communicating with students and answering questions. And it became, it was just school all the time and therefore stress all the time. So I had to set some parameters and some hours for myself. And I had to, you know, I started going for walks because that was the safe thing we could do last spring outside. And so then I started exercising more. I started doing yoga more. I started reading books for fun, which I've always loved to do. I've just never made time for it as much as I should have. My family started working puzzles together just because we got tired of watching TV all the time. And there wasn't much less spring you could do when you were, we were supposed to stay at home. And then when school came around this year and they announced that we were going to back, going to go back five days a week with all the kids, that was a different kind of stress because we still had to adjust lesson plans because we couldn't have kids working together. We couldn't do partner work. We couldn't do group work. We couldn't do moving around the room. We couldn't, you know, move around the building even. So the lesson plans had to be adjusted and revised to reflect more of an individual learning style. And then I was really concerned about the virus. We had, as I said, my family had been very careful and cautious and really stayed home and not gone out outside of a grocery store, really. Um, So the idea of just being around that many people was really troublesome for me. Um, And I struggled quite a bit at the beginning of the year with that. And then teaching in masks, you know, talking through a mask all day, um, it's not easy and the kids can't hear you as well. And you can't hear the kids as well. (laughs) And so it seems like a minor thing, but that has been just a huge adjustment. Um, So I ended up having to keep up those same practices, even though my schedule had returned to normal, I had to set some limits because otherwise I knew I was going to burn out really fast. At any point, were you considering leaving the profession? I mean, you've been a teacher since 1996. This -hmm. has been your life. And you were just saying you couldn't imagine changing lanes from your small community to a big city. But at some moment you were thinking about changing it all. I was. And the problem is I've never had a plan B. When I came home from kindergarten, I wanted to be a kindergarten teacher. And then after first grade, I wanted to be a first grade teacher, et cetera, et cetera. And so I've never had another plan. I'm one of those real weirdos who went to college knowing what I wanted to do. And I never changed majors or, or strayed from that. And So that's stressful in itself. If I ever had to not teach, I I really don't know what I would do. But yeah, I did. I did really start to think early on in the fall, like, I don't know if I can keep doing this because the stress and the anxiety was so deep. And 
I felt like there weren't enough hours in the day. I was exhausted. And I really did question, do I still have this in me for 12 more years? And I've been through some rough spots before. I mean, my first husband, um, we met in 2000 and he died in 2006 and our daughter was two and a half years old. So it's not that I've never had personal challenges to work through and go to school at the same time. I mean, I've had to work through some difficult times and manage my time pretty wisely, you know, because I was raising um, a daughter on my own for many years, but this felt different to me. This felt like insurmountable. This felt like I just didn't have the, I don't want to say I didn't have the desire because I had the desire, but I didn't have the energy for the desire. And I, that was what was so disheartening to me before I had the energy and the desire, it was just really difficult to get it all done. And now I just, I just didn't have the the energy. I guess my grandma would say I didn't have to get up and go. I just didn't have it in me. And then partway through the year, I kind of felt this switch and I realized you've got to switch your priorities. I want to play a clip of a news story you referenced in your latest blog post on Voices of Change. It's about a high school principal in South Carolina who takes a second overnight job to help his students pay for some of the things they need. This was featured on the Today Show. Let's take a listen. That night shift at Walmart, it's for them. Every paycheck, every dime, all of it goes to helping his students in need. He has done so quietly, not even telling his manager at Walmart about his day job. Even before we knew, um, it was something special about him. I would be so happy to have Mr. Darby for as long as he will have us as a part of his family and beyond. His endurance, almost superhuman, walking what must be miles through his high school hallways during the day and stocking what looks like miles of shelves at Walmart at night. When you see that clip, when you hear that, what's your reaction to that? Well, when I when I first saw that, that was my first clue that something was really wrong because I was kind of angry about it. And I thought, why are you not jumping for joy that a teacher is being or a principal and educator is being profiled in such a positive light? Like, that's awesome. Who doesn't want good press for your profession? But I really was like, why am I angry? And I just, I realized that I felt like I was slacking because I thought I could never do that. I did not have the, it's not so much that I wouldn't do, you know, I would do a lot for my kids. And if I could provide for them better than they are provided for, certainly any teacher would want to do that. But I just knew I could never do that. I would never get a second job. And um, there was a story within a week of that one where I think it was a kindergarten or first grade teacher was undergoing chemo and was teaching via Zoom during her chemo treatment. And I just thought, Oh God, I'm a, I need to get out. Cause I don't, I'm not a nice enough person. I would never do that. And um, then I thought it's not so much that I'm not a nice person. It's just that I feel sometimes like teachers are expected to go above and beyond. And if you're, if you're not going above and beyond, if you're just doing a good job within the parameters of your school day, you kind of are looked at like you're slacking or like, you must not care because you're just not doing all these extra over the top things. And I mean, I have nothing but respect and appreciation for both the principal and for, and for the teacher and, and wish them both well in their endeavors. I just sometimes feel like that's why teachers start to feel down on themselves. If they're not going to extraordinary feats to do more than just go to work and do a really good job in your classroom every day. 
I think in this pandemic, so many people have realized what superheroes teachers are, not the ones who are working overnight at Walmart. All educators have been absolutely extraordinary through this. But I also feel like it sounds to me, this is your first time really accepting and recognizing that you're a human being. Would you say that's fair? Well, I've never felt like a superhero by any means, but yes, I've recognized there are limits to my energy and my output. And I have to really prioritize where do I put that energy? And certainly a large part of of my, really a large part of my identity comes from being a teacher. I've been a teacher longer than I've been a mom, longer than I've been a wife. Um, And, you know, it, it really is who I am, but it can't be the only thing I am because someday I won't have teaching anymore. And I need to have other hobbies and interests and aspects to my identity besides my career. And if I continue to sacrifice other parts of myself for my career, then there won't be anything left when my teaching career is over. Do you feel like when you're not taking care of yourself, even your teaching career isn't where it needs to be? Are you an effective educator when you're not taking care of yourself? Certainly not as effective as I would like to be. I think when you're not taking care of yourself, you have less patience and teaching requires an extraordinary amount of patience, even in a regular year, it requires a lot of flexibility. And I have to confess, I'm not really good at change anyway, but when I am not taking care of myself, when I'm stressed out and I am overworked, it's much harder for me to be flexible and roll with the punches. And you have to be able to do that. I don't care what grade level you're teaching. You have to be able to be flexible and patient or it's not, you're not going to have a classroom environment where your kids want to be. And if your kids don't want to be there, trust me, you don't want to be there. (laughs) So you have to create that environment. And um, I found the second part of the school year when that switch kind of happened and my priorities kind of shifted. And I thought I've got to take care of myself or I'm not even going to, it's not going to be an option of whether I want to leave. I would have had to leave if I hadn't switched my priorities around. I really believe that. And the second half has been better because I've had a little more energy and that has allowed me to, in spite of the anxiety and the stress of quarantining kids and teaching in a mask and, you know, not having as much interaction with my colleagues, even though we are in person, it's given me a little bit more of an energetic boost in my classroom. Like I've taught, um, I taught a new book this spring for the first time that I hadn't taught before stamped, which I'll give it a little plug. It's a fantastic book. Um, the Jason Reynolds reboot of the Ibram X Kendi book. And my students seem to like it. And I know they are learning because it's a small town with not a lot of diversity. And um, it's been really energizing for me too to teach something new and to have some more excitement about what I'm doing in the classroom. And even the old stuff, like I teach Romeo and Juliet. I've taught that. I can't even count how many times, but because of the new reality, I found a version of it online and a colleague of mine actually found it and shared it with me. And it's got these interviews with the characters at the end of each scene. And it's so much more entertaining and relevant for the kids. And it's so much better than when we used to take parts in the classroom and try to read it out loud. And it's, it was so much more enjoyable for me and for my students to, to read that play, which honestly, I used to kind of dread a little bit because I've taught it so often and, you know, but it was a little more entertaining this year. So I think that switch my priorities helped me find some more energy to do some things differently in the classroom. And that certainly helps too. Why is this something you want to talk about? You had mentioned to me that you were 
a little hesitant to have your blog post about this because of the way you felt like it might reflect on you. Why is it so important to you to share this with other educators and community members? Because I know I'm not alone. I know I'm not the only teacher who feels guilty if I leave when I'm allowed to leave and don't bring the papers home to grade. And I really have to work on that guilt. I have essays today that I, it's a Friday. I could grade them over the weekend and go to school Monday and have them graded. I'm not going to do it. I just feel like we feel like the expectations are so high. And I I was concerned about sharing it just because I thought, I don't want people to think I'm slacking off. I don't want people to read this as I'm just kind of going to go in there and, you know, coast because that's not the case. I actually feel like I'm working harder during the school day than I've worked in a very long time because I'm not coasting. I'm trying to try new things and figure out different ways to get things done so that I can come home and not bring school home with me. There's a quote that I teach when I teach transcendentalism to my juniors, we study Henry David Thoreau. And he has a quote that says something to the effect of let us not get thrown off the tracks, like a nutshell or a mosquito wing, the train tracks. And I teach that to my students at the beginning of the year. And I tell them, listen, I'm not good at mosquito wing things. I let mosquito wing things get bigger than they should be. And instead of just plowing right through them, because it's a minor thing, I tend to let them get bigger than they should be. And you have to keep me on track. If I'm frustrated about something, just say, Hey, it's a mosquito wing thing. And this year, more than any other year, they've, they've called me on it. They've been like, Hey, so the computer doesn't work. It's a mosquito wing thing. And I'm like, right, it really is. And, and I just figure in the long scheme of their lives, they're not going to get to the end of their life and say, man, I had a really great life, except for that one year when I had Mrs. Holderbaum and she didn't grade those papers for two weeks. That's not what they're going to look back on. And it can't be this thing hanging over my head that I have to get this work done. You know, I just have to be, I have to show grace to myself the way I would show grace to some students who are going through a stressful time. Have your students surprised you this year, especially in their maturity, their ability to, to tell you that they're the mosquito wing incidents? Yes, they have. They are, you know, it's nothing, it's not news to know that kids are resilient and this has just proven that kids are resilient and honestly have shown a lot more maturity and grace to their to their peers and to their teachers than frankly a lot of grown-ups have. I mean, there's some legislators that are not handling this very well in my ever so humble opinion. <laughs> but that's a different blog post. <laughs> um, but the kids are very at the beginning of the year, they were just so happy to be back in person. And that that energy really carried them forward. But yes, they recognize, I think, that it has been a challenge. And I think they appreciate that we're having to be flexible and kind of roll with the punches and you know, I just think there's, they do have a little bit more of an appreciation for, for what we do because they're seeing how we're having to do it differently. And so they're recognizing, you know, that we've had to change a lot. And I think they do have some empathy for that. Um, They're still kids and they still slack off and don't necessarily put in the effort that I wish they would put into it. And, you know, they're still teenagers and teenagers will always be teenagers, but yes, they have impressed me this year. Um, they have, they have been mature and I appreciate when they call me on it, you know, when they say you're blowing the sub proportion. So the Wi-Fi is down, it'll be okay. And it, it is, they're not going to look back on that day as the worst day of the year because we couldn't get on the Chromebooks. You know, it's, it's good for me. They help me. And, and then I've been able to say that to them sometimes too, like, Hey, 
this is probably a mosquito wing thing. Let's figure out how we can cruise past it and not let it derail us. Julie, thank you so much for sharing your perspective on all of this and for all of your work, sharing your voice on the blog. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're very kind. Thank you. Julie Holderbaum is a longtime and frequent contributor to the Voices of Change blog. You can read all of her posts on the OEA website. The link is in the episode notes. You can also get the latest from the Ohio Education Association on social media. We're at OhioEA on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You're welcome to email us about the podcast, too. Just send your message to educationmatters at ohea.org. And if you haven't done so already, follow or subscribe to Education Matters on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss an episode. Until next time, stay well. Stay well.